Well, hello there, and welcome back to another edition of Radio Free Acton. My name is Mark Vandermoss, and uh, it is my pleasure to welcome you to the podcast of the Acton Institute for the Study of Religion and Liberty. Always good to do so, and always good as well to remind you to check out our Acton Institute Power Blog for a daily dose of news, commentary, and information from an Acton perspective. You can do so by bookmarking blog.acton.org. Monday through Friday, we're posting there. Occasionally, even on the weekends, if we're feeling ambitious. So do check it out. A lot of good stuff there at the Acton Institute Power Blog. But the Power Blog, of course, is not the only place where we have good stuff at the Acton Institute. Right now, uh, another page packed with good stuff uh, on our website is our events page, acton.org slash events. Uh, you're going to want to bookmark that site. There's tons of stuff coming up for the first quarter of 2015. And I want to run over a couple of these events that are coming up today to give you a heads up that these things are going to be happening. You're going to want to register and get down here to the Acton Building to take in some of these events. Lots of great uh, things open to the public here at the Acton Building. Of course, the Power Blog isn't the only place where we have good stuff at the Acton Institute. We also have a jam-packed calendar right now uh, of events coming up, and I want to point you to acton.org slash events to highlight some of those. We've got some great lectures and films coming up. Uh, Acton Lecture Series is going to be continuing, of course. Uh, Gene Edward Veith, who is provost and professor of literature at Patrick Henry College, he's going to be here talking about the actual Protestant ethic and the spirit of capitalism. His lecture takes place on February 26th at 1130 A.M. The doors will open. Uh, lunch is provided for that. The most of our events uh, are priced at fifteen dollars, regular price, ten bucks for students, and include lunch. So a great deal uh, and a great lecture for, uh, with Gene Veith on February twenty sixth. We also have um, Oz Guinness coming to town, and uh, anyone who knows Oz Guinness knows he's been a longtime uh, speaker, prominent social critic, written tons of books. His latest book is entitled Renaissance, The Power of the Gospel, However Dark the Times. And uh, he will be here on April 9th at 6.30 p.m. That's when doors open uh, here at the Acton Building. So I'd encourage you to check that out, April 9th, acton.org slash events. Uh, we also have uh, George Weigel coming in. Uh, George Weigel, of course, papal biographer of John Paul II and a prominent uh, Catholic uh, public intellectual. He's going to be talking about Pope Francis and the modern papacy, continuity and change. His lecture will be, again, uh, this is an afternoon lecture, 1130 in the morning, doors open on May 6th of 2015. Uh, George Weigel will be here, and that should be a very, very interesting lecture as well. Uh, lots of great events that I'm not going to have time to, to mention uh, on our calendar page. Please do check it out, acton.org slash events. Get registered for some of these things because they're great opportunities for intellectual engagement and enrichment that we offer here at the Acton Institute. We'd love to see you here at the Acton Building. Well, I'm joined today in studio by uh, Jeffrey Tucker. Glad to have you here, Mr. Tucker. We're always happy to see you here in Grand Rapids, and we even ordered up a little bit of snow for you. Uh, you're usually here around Acton University time, so we wanted you to see the other side of Grand Rapids. I've seen it several times, and it's always grim. <laughs> we ordered ju <laughs> It's just enough snow to, to make things pretty. 
not enough snow to actually stop you from arriving. Well, you know that that song from the movie Frozen, the cold never bothered me anyway. <laughs> okay, so my words should be the, the cold bothers me every day. <laughs> you, 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 you're, a, you're a southerner, so we want to make sure you understand the seasons. Yeah, for, those who, for those who don't know Jeff Tucker, he's the founder and chief liberty officer, I love that title, of liberty.me. He is a distinguished fellow of the Foundation for Economic Education, a great organization. He consults over there on technology and editorial matters he's also a research fellow at, uh, at this place called the acton institute right. which uh which i've heard is is also a good organization and uh editor at laissez-faire books That's right. um he's authored five books of his own you've written intros for 150 books they say mm. the legend of jeff tucker just continues to grow <laughs> And uh, you are here in Grand Rapids to deliver a lecture uh, as we record this. It's going to be tomorrow that you're delivering the lecture entitled Capitalism is About Love. Now, I've seen this in our lobby. We have our little digital display right. sign, and there's your, your picture. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, you're a very snappy dresser. Every mm-hmm. year, you would win snappiest dresser at Acton <laughs> University. So we've got this picture of, of Jeff Tucker up there with his, his bow tie and a very, very distinguished-looking fellow. And it says, Capitalism is About Love. And anyone who looks at that, if you just go with the, the common knowledge, the, the sort of general understanding of capitalism, they'd say, that, that man is crazy. Capitalism isn't about love. Capitalism is about greed. Um, what are you talking about? Uh, well, I should say, first of all, it was amusing that on, on Twitter, as this talk went out, it said, capitalism is about love, no comma, with Jeffrey Tucker. <laughs> so that... <laughs> That elicited a lot of... That's a different... <laughs> that's a whole different lecture. I think a whole different uh, lecture that maybe we don't want to host here. Yeah, I kept meaning to, to, to write someone to correct it, but I never got around to it. So it's been going on that way for about, about six weeks now, eliciting a nonstop hilarity. Although you know, that might bump up the attendance a little bit. We, we'd have to, we'll have to see. We do have almost 100 people coming, so I'm excited about it. No, listen, you know, a lot of times I find in my writing, I pull back slightly from what I actually generally believe in my heart because sometimes it seems too implausible mm-hmm. um, you know I always want my writing and, and analytics and analysis and logic to be really plain and clear and not objectionable to people who don't agree with me they at least see what I'm thinking but when we get into this realm of love you know I'm really tapping into something that I feel very strongly about but I've been reluctant to write about for years because because it does sound a little bit crazy but the more I thought about it the more I think it's absolutely true people have bra- radically mischaracterized the nature of commercial society and and capitalism in particular. I think really at the root of the capitalist experience is, is um, a, a form of love, actually three of, of C.S. Lewis's four kinds of loves. Um, there's, you know, there's friendship and there's, there's, uh, affection and there's even eros that's associated with the institution of entrepreneurship. And it really comes from the heart and taps into something particularly human about us. That's the desire to be valuable to others and mm-hmm. to find value in others and to figure out a way that we can mutually benefit each other and create wealth together as a community. And that is, I think that's that's a, a form of love. And and I'm citing C.S. Lewis in this respect. And I think there's something really 
really something uh, true about it. Even even uh, coming to, back to the basic exchanges we engage in, you know, every day uh, at the supermarket or the candy store or online or whatever, there's there's a there's a faith involved in that and that transferring of property, and there's a, a hope that we're going to gain value out of this, and a genuine love expressed in a desire to be engaged in voluntary exchange with somebody rather than steal from them or uh, eschew their presence entirely. Rather, we're, we're finding value in others, and they're finding value in us. Um, and and that also is the basis of many of our friendships, I think. And friendship is another form of love. You know, I mean, you know, you and I are friends, and one of the reasons we do we're friends is because we we work together at Acton. You know, our, sure. our professional relationship has led to a kind of of an enhanced uh, uh, way of us associating with each other that goes beyond just mere exchange. You know, we influence each other. We become a very important to each other. And capitalism makes that that important, you know, that that makes that critical in our lives. Um, another form of love that I'll be talking about is one that I'm particularly interested in, is the relationship between entrepreneurship and, and eros, which is what uh, most people mean when they when they talk about falling in love. Sure, you know? yeah. And you know, so this is what's interesting to me. And anyone who's ever been in love, and it doesn't happen to everybody, and it doesn't happen very often in, uh, in life when it really truly happens. So when it does, you know it. And the reason you know it is because you see new things, and the world becomes kind of fresh and alive to you in a way that it wasn't previously and you imagine new possibilities for yourself and for others. Um, like the physical world hasn't changed in any sense, but the imagination begins to conjure up a kind of a, a, a different world in, in your head. You, you, um, uh, uh, everything just takes on a, a new cast, you know? Sure. And sometimes it's so special that you, can, you can't sleep, you know? <laughs> yes. And, and that, that's, when you're, that's when you're truly in love. Well, if you have ever gone through an experience of entrepreneurship, or talk to an entrepreneur, the way they describe it is is almost identical. They imagine some kind of value, some sort of product or some sort of service that could exist that would bring new forms of happiness to the world and improve the world that, that's not around right now, but that they themselves could could make um, come into being. And, yeah. and there's an element of eros there. There's uh, an imagination at work and, and, a, and a drive that's like penetrates your heart and even your soul that says, I have to do this. It's like you've been given a mission. And, and I think it very much parallels that sense of, of being in love. Entrepreneurs have, have this about them. And I, and I think it, it, um, it's an, it's an indication of a kind of a divine spark and, and the human mind, you know, animals don't, don't experience this, you know? I mean, it's something that's particularly human. And I think it samples the, the kind of love that God has for us, uh, really. Uh, and we're made in his image. And we've been given that capacity to, to love in that way, and therefore the capacity to imagine things that, that aren't yet built and to see potential that's not yet realized. I'm going on too long. But um, anyway, I think I, I'd never heard of anybody talk about capitalism this way, and I, I'd like to be the first and, <laughs> and persuade everybody, because I, I truly believe it. I did not title the lecture uh, just to be provocative. I, I did it this way because I think it's true. Well, this this ties into something that uh, we We've talked about it. I've heard uh, our founder here, Father Robert Sirico, I've heard him talk about this in, I don't think it's exactly the same way, but it's a similar way in that capitalism or, or, or the entrepreneurial 
the entrepreneurial impulse has to be other directed. Oh my God! I- immediately when you know when you, when as you were talking, I was thinking you know the, when when as an entrepreneur you must almost immediately when you have that moment of inspiration that idea you have to be thinking I bet. I bet this could be useful for other people. I, you know, it's, 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 there's got to be a, a, an element of, I could make money off of this. I could do something with this. But yeah. there's also, in order to do that, it has to be other people might find this useful. How, how can I benefit other people? That's, that is the fundamental question of every commercial enterprise and every marketing campaign. What is the benefit to others? Yes. I mean, that is, that is the driving ethos of the whole of the capitalist spirit. I mean, it's remarkable to me that, that capitalism is so mischaracterized and misunderstood. You know, greed doesn't make money. Actually, it's it's benevolence that makes money. It's it's love for others and a desire to serve others that leads to profitability in a in a market setting, and and you cannot separate those things. Um, I mean, and we know this from our experience. I mean, if you know any merchants, you know they're, they're, they they <laughs> they want to get you in their store. They want to please you. They want to serve you the food they want. If you're dissatisfied with food, they're mortified. This is even more true in a digital era. You know, mm-hmm. um, anybody who thinks you can just go on uh, eBay and sell a product and dump, dump some uh, some junk on somebody and pick up the cash is <laughs> is going to find out otherwise very quickly. Yeah, there's these things called reviews and ratings. Oh, and they're so severe. I mean. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I, I noticed in the digital era, anytime, anytime I buy any product online and I'm even slightly less than satisfied, I'm, I'm actually like take compassion on, on the producer because I'll, I'll write him uh, or her personally and say, you know, there was a slight problem. The size was wrong or the color was different from what you described. And, you know, they're writing back within seconds saying, oh, please let me uh, fix this for you. You want your money back? Uh, can I send you something different? You know, anything to avoid that negative review. Exactly. I mean, yeah. The system of accountability out there in digital media is is lightning fast. Uh, if anything, I would say the digital commerce has become more intensely service-oriented than even that in the physical world. It really emphasizes the checks and balances that are sort of inherent to a free exchange economy. Oh, I know, right? And, 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 and so, much, so much accountability back and forth, back and forward, uh, forth between producers and consumers. You know, the most, and this is what bothers me most about our public rhetoric concerning economics. There's virtually no acknowledgement of this whatsoever. Um, and the, of course, I'm speaking to you the day after the State of the Union address, right? Yes. So we all feel a special sense of frustration, you know? <laughs> um, because the political leaders always, and it's not just Obama, it's they I'll talk about this. You know, anything good that happens that came about because of policies from the administration. Oh, absolutely. You yeah. know, mm-hmm. anything that that uh, bad that exists in the world can be fixed through some sort of government action. And it gets very frustrating because there's a there's a gigantic world out there, a society that's that's ever emerging and evolving and struggling over the way forward, flowing out of individual decisions and and decentralized knowledge that's really creating a beautiful civilization. But our public rhetoric about economics just kind of like ignores that completely, yeah. you know, and, yeah. and it's very frustrating, actually. Politicians love to take credit for things that they haven't done or in fact couldn't do. The, the fact of, of, of the matter is that the economy, I mean, this is, this is basic stuff for acting folks, but the interactions of millions upon millions of individual citizens are not something that can be controlled by government. The government's job is totally different than to do that. That's right. And they don't even have access to the right sort of data. Even if they had the competence to control it, they don't have the right data and inputs that allow them to 
put together any something like a rational machinery that could manage the world. I mean, the, the way society works is, um, is, is, is through decentralized decision-making, all the way down to the individual's uh, localized knowledge of time and place, which itself is very uncertain, you know? And so we rely very heavily on institutions to, to guide us. And those institutions are, are norms and, and manners and religious traditions and, 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 and uh, civic rituals, but also things like uh, prices and interest rates and all these economic institutions. These, these all emerge from the voluntary interactions of people. And, and what they do is they, all these institutions sort of extract that raw matter you know, out of the firmament of society and embed it in these kind of exter- things that are external to us that give us signaling devices to make our way uh, in, this, in this world. And but those institutions have to emerge organically out of out of social evolution. They can't be imposed from from the top, where you're just going to make a mess of things. Well, I'm I'm interested. You mentioned that that as we record this, last night was the State of the Union address. Uh, everybody in the United States knows what that is, and most of us ignore it uh, because it's intensely boring, and usually uh, doesn't reflect the reality of what is to come or what has gone by. Um, I'm, I'm much more interested in sort of Jeffrey Tucker's State of the Union uh, in terms of what, where do you think the world is going? Mm-hmm. Where do you think we're at? Um, well, I was just thinking about it because I wrote a big article after the State of the Union address that really addressed this knowledge problem that we, here we have this guy up at the top, top of the heap, and he has to pretend to know all the things that he can't possibly know, take credit for things he didn't do, imagine solving in things that he cannot solve. And it's, it's all a little bit of a, of a charade. And I had, I just finished a piece just now on his little case about childcare, which is by itself a, an absurd issue that I'd, I'd love to talk about, uh, maybe some other time, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, what struck me most about the address was that it was a little bit more humble. I think notably more humble than any previous uh, State of the Union address that I had ever seen. Really? And, yeah. And I think the reason for that is that there's a growing public perception that government can't actually do all the things that it claims to, to do. I mean, you look at our public uh, systems of, of um uh, uh, that the government has set up for us over the course of a hundred years, you know, from transportation to social security systems, medical care, education, uh, foreign policy apparatus. Um, you know, you just look up and down from pu- public housing to, to, uh, wage controls, you know, you just, the, at the whole thing, none of it is working like it once did. Um, they tried to ramp it up in 2008, you know, big fiscal stimulus, even monetary stimulus. None of it has achieved anything remotely like the promise. And I think that what's happened is that we're, we're, that's demoralized a lot of people who believed in these systems before. They're not working like they once did. And then we look at our lives, right? Since 2008, everything has changed for us as individuals. Yeah. We're now living on our smartphones. We're downloading apps all the time. We're checking our blood pressure through the app economy where it's clocking our runs and our sleep and helping our health and helping us keep in touch with, with our kids and our parents. And, you know, and, and we're now engaged in peer-to-peer economic exchange on a global basis, national borders. Don't how did this happen? How did these miracles come to be? I mean, how is it that I'm able to click a button and get a, a, a driver over to, to this door over here in Acton or click another button and get a, get a soup uh, delivered to me you know, within sure. 10 minutes? It wasn't anything government did. This entire gigantic world of millions and millions of apps from which people are making 
billions of dollars emerged not without any not with any kind of government action but purely spontaneously you know out of the the digital revolution i mean it's a product of the market and so the reason i'm telling this story is when you reflect on your own lives you begin to realize that everything beautiful and wonderful in your life comes about through the markets and (laughs) and and everything that's like like not so good and kind of shabby, like we don't really believe in Social Security anymore. We all go dread, dread uh, the driver's licenses. We don't like the TSA. The mail's always late and so on. Um, these are public services that government promised to give us. I, I think what we're seeing is a gradual but systematic and relentless and unstoppable breakdown of a paradigm that emerged over the last 100 years and the gradual emergence of a new paradigm that's very much tuned in to markets, peer-to-peer uh, relationships, and, and digital economics. And I'm, so I'm wildly optimistic for the future of freedom for this reason. And that, that's really interesting because right now I think that there is, within, within the broader movement of folks who, who believe in liberty, there might even be there. It, it might even be fair to say that there's some pessimism. Oh, I know. Since since 2008, especially the Obama administration, I think is probably in the United States, anyways, the fullest flowering that we've seen of the sort of statist mentality. Mm-hmm. Um, and and a lot of people look at it and say, well, the you know nothing's going to get done, nothing's going to change in Washington, and yet there's all this stuff that's happened over here right. that we sort of take for granted. Right. Do you think that do you think that people are finally people outside of the liberty movement? Do you think they're finally starting to connect the dots and say, wait a minute, we were promised you know free health care and and reduced costs, and the exact opposite has happened. We were promised competent governance, and the exact opposite has happened. Maybe we need to start turning from this towards something else. Do you think that's actually happening? I don't think that there's a consciousness about it. What's, what's happened is that people are trying to ignore politics, actually. <laughs> you know, it's just... Uh, um, Tocqueville wrote about this in the 1830s, that Americans just completely ignore politics up until about uh, about 10 days to two weeks before the elections, and they get all interested, and then they forget about it the day after. Yep. <laughs> I think we're headed into that in the 21st century again. Uh, People just don't really believe anymore. You know, they, they can talk a good game uh, about, oh, the wonderful ways in which the federal government should do something about climate change and, and child care and blah, blah, blah. But in their heart of hearts, everybody knows that the real progress in the world comes about from entrepreneurship and people getting out there and doing it. And that's how I see the future is a gradual uh, obsolescence of public systems and and the, at the same time a growing um, the creation of a, of a sort of a layer that sits on top of that decaying infrastructure uh, that's very bright and very beautiful that emerges out of entrepreneurship and, and uh, market economics in, in the endless diversity that is providing us today. It, I mean, we are a, able to customize our own communities nowadays. You know, that wasn't even true 10 years ago. It's amazing to see. You, you mentioned the app universe that exists yeah. out there. How many different people there are just developing little apps on there. I, I'm I have a friend at my church who he's a he's a software programmer during the day and he just he built a little RPG that's out on the App Store now and he's getting reviews from relatively right. major publications Isn't in the something? gaming community and yeah. and and he's 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 built his own little game and he's making his own little money on the side doing that and there's and it, more and of it that surprises going on. you it surprises you because you don't think of him as being you know some well-heeled capitalist he's exactly. just a, it's just some guy right he's a guy so, who lives, lives right. you know in Byron Center you know right. it, it's just an average guy so this is why also I think from the point of view of of those of us who believe very strongly in human human liberty 
property, that we too are going to cha- face a challenge in the future. Capitalism is going to take a different shape uh, in the 21st century than it did in the 20th century. It's not going to be about hierarchies and um, just large institutions and, and, and corporations and, and, and big, powerful, you know, Gilded Age barons of ruliness. Um, it's going to be about guys like you just described, uh, small players who you know are fiddling around on their laptops, making beautiful things. There's there's a word that's emerging within the within the literature that I really like. It's called equipotency, which really means equal power, right? And so we live in a world of equipotency. That is to say that we all have the same tools now. The most powerful tools are being democratically distributed across uh, population groups, um, so that at any time I could be a producer or a consumer either way and um so for example i can make a movie or watch a movie yeah you know um and and the movie makers and the movie watchers basically have the same tools and we can trade places you know and it's a, it's true with transportation services now i can call an uber or i can drive an uber car you know <laughs> I, I can i can take a class or i can give a class you know and this is this is very interesting that these tools are being so widely distributed which is another feature of, of robust mature capitalism is that there's an element of egalitarianism about it it wants the whole of humanity to participate and uh, digital tools like like uh, the smartphone are breaking down these barriers that are that are, that have in the past have stopped um, opportunity. But what I'm saying is that I think this is going to change the nature of our understanding of capitalism in the future. In the 20th century, it was a big debate: should we be ruled by large government or should we be ruled by large corporations? Right, <laughs> and that was the big main debate. But in the 21st century, I think it's really going to be about: do we want to be ruled by static hierarchies of all sorts, or do we want to rule ourselves through peer-to-peer relationships? That's See, a different kind of debate. Interesting to see, though, that, that, that the big government and big corporations have sort of come together almost. Oh, they absolutely have. They work very tightly together. Um, it's always in the very, very much in the interest of large corporations to impose a regulatory structure that punishes competition. They don't like competition uh, any more than they like government. And actually, actually they prefer government uh, to competition because the government helps shut down their, their competition. It's and, a little more predictable, too. Yeah, yeah, it is. They like that kind of world. Um, but I, I, you know, that's the beautiful thing about, about the tools that we've been given now. Um, they tend to subvert this, this regulatory systems. Uh, you know, I, I think about services like Airbnb, you know, um, that allow, you know, pretty much anybody to rent out the, a room in their home to anybody who comes along. And governments can try to police this stuff and say, oh, well, that violates zoning laws or you don't have the right permits and blah, blah, blah. But at some point, you know, this stuff just becomes unenforceable. There aren't enough bureaucrats in the world to enforce all the regulations that are that exist right now, whereas the P2P economy is just cutting right through them and, and allowing us to get together and associate this. As, as, as I said, on, on, an, on, on the basis of equipotency and mutual benefit. There's so much more that could be said about all of this, of course. Um, but for, for the sake of time, uh, you mentioned earlier guys fiddling around on their laptops. Talk a little bit about Liberty.me, yeah. which I think, I, I guess I'll give you credit. It's a little bit more than a guy fiddling around on a laptop. It's a pretty full-featured well, site. Well, it is. It's gigantic. I mean, you can go down and download like 200 books that I have there. I have all sorts of guides produced that are sort of do-it-yourself uh, manuals for living a freer life. A publishing platform is a social platform. We've got ongoing chat. I mean, the thing just keeps me incredibly busy. It's busy 24-7 on a global basis. But what I really wanted to do was have a happy, inspiring platform 
for people to talk and share ideas about making the world a freer place without having to engage in constant, relentless political agitation, which I think politics leads to a kind of a despair. And, <laughs> I, you know, I've seen it too much. People get involved in politics and then they, they throw themselves into it and then just get depressed uh, that it's this, like this immovable force. They can't do anything about it. And then they drop out and just kind of slunk along in life and just saying there's no hope. Well, that's ridiculous. There's always hope. It's a matter of finding it. And I think the real hope is through this sort of do-it-yourself project. So you have to improve your own life. There are many ways that we can become freer, live outside the central plan. And uh, Liberty.me is designed to be a platform to inspire people to do that and give them practical ways to go about it, whether it means um, – you know, homeschooling or using uh, fancy cryptocurrencies, you know, uh, in your daily life to get around uh, uh, banking restrictions or um, ways to use the best that capitalism has to offer to get, you know, free household essentials through uh, extreme couponing or, you know, whatever, you know, <laughs> yes. whatever it is, right? Yes. So that's what it, it's a fun site and uh, we try to keep it upbeat and we have a nice culture there. Um, also, it's a commercial service so that everybody who's in there pays a little bit to get in. But so everybody has skin in the game. And what it means is you don't get the flame wars you get on Twitter and Facebook and that sort of thing. So uh, that's half the fun of Twitter and Facebook. <laughs> it is. Uh, it is for everybody under the age of 20. Yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> I, I can't argue with you there. Liberty.me is the site. Check it out. Jeffrey Tucker will be here uh, tomorrow at Acton, as I said, as we record, delivering a lecture entitled Capitalism is About Love. We will be posting that on the Acton Institute Power blog as soon as we can after the lecture is over. And, and Jeff, it's a pleasure to have you here back in Grand Rapids. You're always welcome. And hopefully we'll see you in June at Acton University. Yes, and this time I'm going to schedule a few extra days to make sure that I give it my full attention last year, as you recall, as a disaster. I, I flew in, I flew out, but this year I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make it happen. It's always good to have you here for a few days, Jeff. Thank you so much for Thank coming by. Thank you for having me. That's the podcast for today, folks. Thanks for joining us on Radio Free Acton. Be sure to bookmark radio.acton.org for all of our podcast archives. Thanks again to Jeffrey Tucker for stopping by the Acton Studios to talk. We'll get his Acton Lecture Series speech entitled Capitalism is About Love. That will be uploaded to our YouTube channel and the Power Blog as soon as we can. And uh, do check out Jeff's uh, website, liberty.me. Lots of great resources there for the liberty-loving individual. And uh, do check out the Acton Power blog as well, blog.acton.org. Thanks again for joining us today. It's been great to talk with you, and we'll see you again on the next edition of Radio Free Acton.